Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by economist Mike Miller of Western Washington University, Republican attorney Josh Cantrow in Chicago, and John Allen Williams, professor emeritus from Loyola University in Chicago and author of the book, U.S. National Security, The Policymakers, Processes, and Politics. Our program tonight coming to you over on home base at AM 560, The Answer. Uh, that's the Salem Station in Chicago, just outside Chicago in Elk Grove Village. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open 1-800-723-8289. We invite your questions, your comments throughout the show. I'm going to throw the number out there a number of times. If you'd like to join us, fine. If you want to also uh, you know, tweet questions to us uh, on the Internet, that's fine as well. Uh, nice to have you with us. Uh, I want to begin with John Allen Williams, who's been a guest frequently in the last few weeks on this program. He joins us from his home in Macon, Georgia. He is with Loyola University Chicago, has been there for many, many years, author of that book, uh, U.S. National Security, and, and also a, a longtime activist in the United States Naval Reserve. John, as you look at how the United States has responded militarily in the wake of the death of the three American soldiers, uh, what is your grade? What grade would you give for the way they've responded thus far? Well, I, I wouldn't. I would hesitate to put a put a letter on it, but I think in general it's been correct. What President Biden is trying to do is sort of get the Goldilocks solution between going too far and provoking a war with Iran that neither Iran nor the U.S. wants, or doing too little and inviting uh, inviting the uh, uh, area bad guys to to play whack-a-mole with our with our troops there and they're you know scattered around the region. So. I believe that they had every uh, justification to strike back, and I have no problem with him doing it. And I think he's trying as best as he can to uh, to limit the uh, fallout from that. As an armchair general uh, with, you know, only experience in the Illinois National Guard, uh, the the attack on the soldiers was a week ago. Then there was a report that the United States was going to respond, and then everybody waited and waited and waited and waited. And it was five or six days later before the actual strikes, the strikes took place. Was there anything wrong about that? I mean, why, why announce uh, no. that you're going to do something and then just, you know, let everybody, including uh, citizens of the United States, just wait for it? Well, you know, it's sometimes these uh, uh, retribution is better delayed than uh, immediate. This gave, this was done deliberately, I have no doubt. We had, certainly had options on the table to do uh, just about anything uh, in that region. I think the president and his advisors decided to wait because it gave, and this, you know, this was on the airing on the side of caution. Mm -hmm. It gave the Iranians time to, to remove their people from there. And the word is they probably did. Killing Iranians is probably a much of a, uh, hot button for for them as it is for us. Now, having begun this attack uh, and these attacks, if they move back into those regions, uh, where they're going to be gone. But I, I I think we may have avoided but going after go, going after going after Syria and Iraq, when at least for a week everyone was talking about Iran. 
uh, again, that in your view, that is not an encouraging response in any way. It's, it's not. We're not going after Syria. We're not going after no, but, Iraq. But, but we're going but the after strikes, these clients. But the strikes well, were in were. those areas. Uh, Josh Cantrell is here. Well, he is know. a conservative uh, Republican uh, who joins us this evening. He's a supporter of Nikki Haley. We should mention. But uh, Josh, uh, what's your answer to the same question? Well, I would take a step back and look at it. That uh, why are we in this situation where Iran is striking our troops and striking our allies? It's because we have been appeasing Iran throughout this administration and throughout the Obama-Biden administration, President Trump. And we're supporting Israel. Yes, and we're supporting Israel. And you know what? We released, the Biden administration released $6 billion to Iran. They're desperate to try to get them back into this nuclear deal. And Iran is using that money to fund their terrorist activities across the world. And so why wouldn't they feel emboldened to strike U.S. troops? I mean, it's just obvious. So in terms of how Biden has handled this, I don't have military experience, but it seems about right to me. Um, so I agree with the general there, but I do think we have to take a step back and figure out why is Iran creating so much mischief around the world, aided and abetted by U.S. money? Mike Miller, let's get your reaction from Western Washington. Okay. Um, you know, I... <clears throat> I think that the uh, answer John gave is uh, exactly the measured response we should have had. And um, <clears throat> I, uh, here's my concern. It's my concern that I've had ever since we started talking about Ukraine. Some of these problems are not U.S. problems. They are world problem or Western problems. The ships and so forth that were attacked were not just U.S. ships. When they talk about the 170 different hits, they have been ships from many, many countries, some of which now are, are going around the Red Sea to avoid being hit. I guess I would love to see more of a concerted effort by the rest of the world to step up and do more for themselves to fight against this kind well, of nonsense. Well, but you, you, you're the not, you, UK is, is involved wish, in this, Mike. UK is involved in this I know, they did. Military I, operation. I was pleased to hear that this morning. They were one of the ones that were involved in, uh, I believe, whatever happened yesterday, the mm -hmm. UK was involved in that. But I also wonder why we had what I think were relatively successful uh, controls or, or um, sanctions put on by the Trump administration, which were removed almost immediately by uh, Mr. Biden. Uh, we had almost bankrupt Iran. And, and now they're, as, as Josh is saying, they have lots of money to play with. And so I, I think that, that we, had, we, we had something going here, and I swear out of spite, just Mr. Biden wanted to spite Mr. Trump or whatever, he removed these sanctions, which emboldened, again, uh, Iran. But I would love to see a more worldwide response to this belligerence well, of Iran's I activities. Th I thought I heard a report this morning that there were six other <laughs> nations involved in this response. John, do you know anything about that? But then make it that? more explicit. Yes, yeah. Make sure they they're planes. other kinds of support. Do we know who they, they, they are and what they're doing? Planes we do, but they did have, oh, like Denmark, uh, okay. other places. You know, they, they always say about U.S. allies, they're always there when they need us. And so uh, this is the type of, this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I love Denmark that. is all we know lost. about. Denmark, what did they bring? No, the, all what did they bring the Danish for the uh, troops? But, but, but that's exactly Danish, right. Yes. The, 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 US, the U.S. is always having to police the world. And you know what? Yeah. The Trump administration reversed that. They said to NATO, mm -hmm. pay up. We are tired of this. And then the Biden administration retreats from that. Trump's foreign policy was 
was superb. We had very little of this happening when Trump was president. And out of spite, I agree with Mike. Why? Why did the Biden administration have to retreat from a successful strategy, not just with Iran, but also at our southern border as well? Because they just wanted to do anything different than Trump, and it's led to disaster around the world. I want to get reaction I, I from John Allen Williams to that because no. no, I know I know John. Once John, we got to go to a break. I know you're not a big fan of the former president. Uh, we'll let you respond to uh, Josh's assessment in just a moment. 1-800-723-8289. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. back uh, for another segment of Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us. Uh, right before the break, Josh Cantro, our in-house Republican, had some nice things to say about uh, what Donald Trump would have done, maybe prevented what happened uh, with the death of three American soldiers. But uh, uh, John Allen Williams, professor emeritus from Loyola University, he he disagrees. So let's hear what the professor has to say. Not uh, Not a big fan of the Trump foreign policy, right, John? Well, that's correct. But Josh, let me begin with this. Uh, I, I like uh, I like uh, Nikki Haley, uh, especially since she's begun channeling her inner, inner Liz Cheney, and is telling a whole bunch of truths about uh, about President Trump. And because I agree with her, and uh, I I think that uh, she would not have made the mistakes that the Trump administration did in its foreign policy and and national security policy. Uh, his he had. The Trump had, in, in my view, sort of a performative presidency. That is, you sort of like want to look like you're doing something and you have these big announcements and such, but uh, the policy itself doesn't look as good on close inspection. I personally found that he has a very ad hoc uh, decision-making style. He is not a strategic thinker, certainly not. Uh, I found that the, uh, st- the strategy was uh, incoherent. Uh, it was counterproductive. Praise your opponents, criticize your allies, and it, it drove away uh, our, our closest allies. Now, I will say this: that he was right about this. That the NATO allies need to step up their contribution. No question about that. And because they are terrified that that guy might actually get into the White House again, which frankly terrifies me too. Uh, uh, they're they're suddenly realizing that they may have to do more. So that's good. But the policies that Trump did really didn't make a lot of sense. And a lot of the problems that we had getting out of uh, Afghanistan, which was a catastrophe the way it was done, were, were, were preceded by a very uh, uh, disadvantageous uh, a deal that Trump had made in the last year of administration. So I don't find a lot to like in that policy. All right, let's go to uh, Mike. I would, listen to, I, would, I, would listen, to, I would listen to Nikki Haley on this. Okay, I want to go. I'm going to go to Mike Miller because he was chomping at the bit to get in here as well, and then we'll go back to Josh as well. And again, yeah. uh, we're not going to spend the whole uh, program this evening discussing the Trump foreign policy, although it is something that uh, I think is germane because we have uh, people in the United States that say that we should be doing more. We probably should have responded more quickly 
more in a more muscular military way. And there are others that uh, think that we should take a more isolationist perspective. And uh, that's exactly what uh, this campaign is going to be about. But, Mike, uh, you wanted to make some comments. Yeah, I, uh, John, it's, it's, uh, you're the expert. I, I'm just an economist, and, and I'm looking at no, the— I, I just have opinions. <laughs> yeah, I, I have opinions, too, and, and um, I, was, I did not vote for Mr. Trump the first time because I didn't like his economic policies. You're having more trouble with his, with his foreign policies. But I very much liked—and I, I, maybe this is uh, crazy of me— I very much like the America First idea that the other countries should be stepping up. You know, and it's almost petty in me, I think, that one thing that aggravates me is that America is, is accused of being a militaristic monster— because we have such a large military. And then when it comes time to actually do something like what happened with, with uh, the ships in the Red Sea being attacked, who do they expect to come to the, to the salvation of, of the world? It's the United States, and it's the one which has power. I just, again, I think this idea of other countries becoming much more visual, uh, 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 that we can see them, that they're literally part of this, that they use their military uh, 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 machines and so forth, uh, but in particular with Iran, did you think that, for example, that the economic controls that, that sapped them of their money in terms of oil sales and so forth was a good idea under Trump or was that a bad idea? It seemed to make sense because it put like, them on their knees. I don't, think it, I don't think it did much. The policy of maximum pressure didn't change their, didn't change their uh, behavior in any way that I could tell. And it did make it harder to find any kind of political accommodation. Well, but the, the political accommodation would be for them to stop their, their nuke. They're, nothing is going to do that. Nothing is going to stop them. So I, either economic or whatever. But if maybe we could put them on their knees economically, that would mean that the people of Iran would say, we, can't, we want to be part of the world too. We don't want to be this pariah that everybody looks at as the world's major source of, of terrorism. We want to be the country we were before this, before 1979. And, and so I, I just wonder if, if that there's not so much craziness in, in what Trump did. Again, I was not a supporter of him the first time. I want, to go, I want to go back to Josh first because he's been standing by, and then we'll go back to, to John Allen. Go ahead. Yeah, Josh. I, I, I agree with, with everything Mike just said. And I would, would add that, um, you know, I've been on this show for three years since January 6th. And I, I am not the bloom, as Bruce has put it, came off the rose with me and Trump. What I'm talking about was the accomplishments in his administration, not my present feelings toward him, because I'm more of a Nick Haley fan as well. Um, in fact, it's not more of a, that's who I'm firmly behind. But, you know, Trump got a lot of things right, and the world was, it seemed more peaceful and prosperous when he was president than the current situation. John, the last time you were on this program was was just a couple of weeks ago. You did a terrific job in sort of explaining to the audience who the Houthis were, what they were up to, uh, where their support was coming from. For those that did not hear that part of the of the broadcast, where where do the Houthis get their money? Does it really go back to Iran, as as many have suggested, or are there others that are providing? Uh, funding for their armaments. I mean, they don't seem to be running out of, uh, you know, drones. Well, we don't know whether they're running out of drones or not. And let's be clear that the military attacks on the Houthis, who are uh, have the, the bases <laughs> in uh, northern Yemen, 
uh, are not designed to change their hearts and minds because th their hearts and minds are not going to change. They are determined to reduce American influence uh, in the region, just as Iran is, which is why Iran provides them the bulk of their funding. They also uh, are using the uh, fact that they're opposed to the United States and are, are you know, try, claiming to be helping the Palestinians by these attacks. They are increasing their uh, credibility there in Yemen, where they're doing a terrible job of governing. So uh, that's that's where that came from. Now, uh, I, I would like to. But those, uh, but, but let me just. But but those that are going into the streets in America today and 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 since October seventh, those that are demonstrating against U.S. foreign policy as it relates to uh, Israel, aren't they to some extent cheering? what the Houthis are doing. Now, they may not be cheering the death of three American soldiers. I'm not going to go that far. But again, the Houthis are really a pain in the you-know-what, uh, you know, for the United States right now, and they're a pain in the butt uh, for Israel because they're, they're basically saying, as the people in the streets are saying, we want a ceasefire. Stop Israel from doing what they're doing. And we're and and we're well, viewed I, in the I, world, and well, and the reality is we're we're clearly on Israel's side, even though I don't think, uh, uh, you know, I, I would, uh, even though I don't totally believe that Joe Biden is on Israel's side. I wouldn't make those connections. The people are, and I'm not criticizing people who are, uh, who are protesting based on what they see. Uh, there's a lot not to like about what the Israels have been doing in Gaza. Mm -hmm. uh, they had every right to go to war. The, the uh, use on Bellum to go to war was just war was there. The question is the use in Bellum, the way they are fighting, is something that people could certainly raise questions about. Because if you turn the entire Gaza Strip into Dresden, people are going to look and say, why are you doing that? And the third problem is the use post-bellum, the justice after the war, not enough people are thinking about how this ends and how, uh, how it gets put back together. But again, the, in terms of the Houthis, this is the simpler military problem. We are going to bomb them until they don't have any more missiles. Now, that's a solvable problem. It's not easy, but we know what to do and how to do it. The problem of Gaza is a difficult problem, usually a political question. Now, it's a political issue with military overtones, and the military does have a role in this, but these political political military uh, problems are the ones that are most difficult if to deal we, with. If we, John, if we can put the Houthis down by striking them in Syria uh, and in Iraq, are there other places in the Middle East where we sh should also be striking them? And my question is, should we be striking them with whatever... Uh, compounds they have in Iran? Or is it only well, the, Syria? The Houthis. I'm talking about the Houthis. The Houthis, are in, the Houthis are in Yemen. They're not the okay. ones who are around, who are attacking Americans on the ground. They're in Yemen. They right. have their position there, and they're going to defend it. And, and they're, not and in, they're, not in, they're not in Iran at all. They're accepting money from they're Iran, but they're I mean, physically they're getting, not they're in getting, Iran. No, they're not physically there, except okay. maybe to coordinate deliveries of weapons. But no, okay. they're not. But this is a purely military problem. We love those. They're simple. Right. How do you how do you stop them from attacking you? Well, pound them until 
they don't have anything to attack you with. And by the way, Iran doesn't like these attacks on the red, in the Red Sea because it's hurting their allies, uh, uh, China in particular and India, uh, who who need to use the straits for their own uh, their own uh, uh, commerce. So, do they not have um, any influence over the Houthis? Do they not have any? Sure, they do. Well, but it's not. They, it, it's they not influence, working. This, well, they don't control them. Do they have right. influence over them? Okay. Yes. Do we have influence over Israel? Yes. Do we control Israel? No. Now, not to compare Israel to the Houthis, but it's just a matter of client state and uh, and, and the state that's uh, providing the aid. Uh, you cannot control what they do with it completely. It's just not possible. We've got to pause. 1-800-723-8029. We're going to continue this discussion and go into a lot of other areas, including what's happening on our own southern border when Beyond the Beltway continues from coast to coast. back and uh, at this moment we let every everybody introduce themselves and we're going to begin with Josh Cantrell a little uh, 30 second background on who you are when you're not on the radio <laughs> I am uh, I'm Josh Cantrell I'm a moderate Republican I uh, am a lawyer by trade doing uh, technology litigation and advising clients on uh, privacy issues and I have a wife and uh, three children and we live in Chicago John Allen Williams, to you in Macon, Georgia. Well, I am uh, fully retired from Loyola University, Chicago, uh, as I was for 39 wonderful years working with the Jesuits. Uh, I am still keeping my hand in by doing some writing and uh, commentary uh, and things like this. Uh, I'm also retired a captain in the Naval Reserve. Most of my duties were uh, in the Pentagon, dealing with Navy mm -hmm. strategy and, and such. Thing. And, and you wrote that book, U.S. National Security. Macon, Georgia. U.S. Yes, National Security. Did it. You forgot uh, the plug. I had to throw the plug in. <laughs> uh, that's, that's in its sixth, it that's in its sixth it. printing now, right? Yeah, that's the famous Sam Sarkeesian book. One of your no, old friends, no, too. Old friends, right. Longtime friend of your show, I know. Uh, uh, yeah, but down here it's less snow and more grandchildren, so I like it down Good. here. <laughs> Mike Miller, let's turn to you out in the great state of Washington yeah. now. Not too far from John. I was at uh, the Vincentian School, DePaul, for 43 years on the Faculty of Economics. Uh, enjoyed uh, teaching and, and working with students very much. I also did research and teaching in uh, the Middle East, in Bahrain. Uh, in 2023, I decided to retire and move and have my whole family together in, in uh, the, near the Cascades of Washington State. And um, just so happened that there was an opening at uh, Western Washington University for someone to teach macroeconomics. So I applied and got the gig and am enjoying it very much, teaching undergrads uh, macroeconomics. Mike, when you were living in Chicago, uh, it was before the migrants uh, came here. Uh, courtesy of uh, Governor Abbott of Texas. But now that you live even further away from the border, uh, what is the reaction just just in your daily life out there? Is there much talk about 
uh, illegal immigration and what's happening at the border? Uh, within my family, we're kind of a, a couple of us are political junkies. So, yes, we mm-hmm. do talk about it. I, I want you to know, I am close to the border. Nine miles from me is, but it's yeah. the Canadian border. border right. Yeah, I, I, nine miles north. And um, I think what is happening at the border is, I, I have to always preface this because people then attack you. I am a very big supporter of legal immigration. Um, and, and that includes people maybe who are much more in need as opposed to that we, uh, we need their talents and so forth. But I am very much uh, dead set against illegal immigration. And I think what is happening at the southern border was under control under Mr. Trump. And I think that the Biden administration, maybe for spite or whatever reason, decided on the very first day of his administration he was going to undo all of Trump's stuff. And he said, come to the border, come and we'll yep. let you in. And he's paid the price. And, and what, a, what a total and complete disaster that has been. However, right at the moment, uh, Donald Trump has suggested uh, to the leaders in Washington that they not move forward on this compromise deal that's working its way through uh, Senate after going through Senate negotiations. And uh, he has basically said, uh, you know, hold off on that. Uh, Speaker Johnson in the House has said, you know, it's dead on arrival. We're not going to move forward on it. And my question to you is, as someone that would like to see Trump elected again now, um, is 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 he going to be to blame if this thing continues to get worse? Or uh, is he going to be able to walk the line between uh, some guy who at the moment is putting up a stop sign to uh, to at least legislative response uh, to this issue? I think they uh, Wow. You know, the, the issue here is that things were under control and mis- under Mr. Trump's thing. And almost everything that has led to the trouble we have in terms of the large numbers of people coming in, the no longer staying in, in uh, Mexico and, and so forth, these were all done by executive order. There is no reason that I've been able to find, I read a lot, I'm not a, an expert again, but I read a lot. There is no reason why Mr. Biden could not tomorrow stop all this by redoing these executive orders and saying, let's get the border back under control. It doesn't need military, it just needs to go back to where we were. And then we can come up with a, close the border, and then we can we can negotiate some kind of new immigration Josh, policy. Josh, question you, a political question. If Donald Trump were to, is there some way that Donald Trump could have egg on his face as this story plays forward? I, I'm greatly concerned that he, he will. To me, what is I, I agree with everything Mike said. It was under control, and it could be under control with a, an executive order from Biden. He says so, no. He, however, he, he says no bill is better than a bad bill. Do you agree with that? I do not think this is a bad bill. I think that this is actually a good bill. The Republicans are getting a lot of what they want here, and it is a chance to get the border secure, get funding over to Ukraine and Israel both of whom need it. But it, it, there could be egg on Mr. Trump's face. If this falls through and the border continues to be a, a big issue, Biden can say, look, we had a solution. We had senators in the Republican caucus who supported this. You told them for political reasons not to. So the present border situation you are partly responsible for. I think that's a trap that Trump risks walking into. But if he but doesn't but will de- but I guess my question will will Democratic voters will they applaud Biden for getting this done, or will they view him as selling out to Trump? 
Well, was, well the, the, the moderate I mean, ba- basic, basically what he's basically what he's going to try to do he's going to try to turn back a lot of the policies to the Trump policies but he doesn't want too many people to point that out to his core constituency of Democrats well I think it's an opportunity for whoever the Republican nominee is to point that out but I but look there are conserv there are moderate Democrats the Democratic Party is split between these loony crazy left progressives, which is about half the party, and then the moderates. And the moderate Democrats and the suburban Republicans and the independents and moderates all want to see something done at the border. So it could help Mr. Biden um, if this is done. Politically, it could help him. But you know what? It's, It's in the country's interest to get this thing done. We haven't had Congress and the president legislate something and major bipartisan immigration reform done since the Reagan but John, but, but John Allen, is, is it not a fact that the president of the United States right now could look at the executive orders that he issued on day one or in the first week of his administration and just go back and rescind all of them and uh, we no, would be no, back to a not. better policy? No, there's a basic misunderstanding here. And I'm sorry, I was disconnected for a while. And I want to get back to something Mike said as well. Uh, I completely agree with Josh on this situation. This should not be a a political football. It should be however we got here. We absolutely have to control of 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 our borders. And there's a mess in the southern border. Is Biden responsible for some of it? Yes. Was Trump's policy a great success? No, we were ripping children away from their parents and we still don't have been able to put them back together. This was a moral catastrophe. So there has to be some way to achieve this uh, without that kind of thing. Now, as to whether we could just simply, uh, does the president have the power now to do what he needs to do? No, he doesn't. There have to be some legal authorities that are contained, I understand, in this bill, because the problem is not illegal immigration. That was five years ago. And this, I, I kind of owe uh, uh, Fareed Zakaria for this insight. It wasn't original with me. I hadn't thought of it. But back then, people were just trying to avoid getting captured so they could melt into the society and make money. The problem isn't illegal immigration. The problem is a broken asylum system. Because now the people that are coming across the border are looking for the authorities so they can surrender to them and claim asylum. And that is not something that the president can just simply change. By However, however once upon a time, John, all the, that administration was happening in Mexico. Those conversations were happening sure. in Mexico. And that yes. was a success. There are things that can be done. And that, but that, more can be done. That, that was a success of the Trump administration, yeah. and that's the first thing that Biden got rid of. And also he said well, early I mean, in his things, administration, I mean, come words. on, come on to the United States. I mean, when you've got the president of the United States and president-elect of the United States, he did it even before he was sworn in, saying basically, you know, come on north. I mean, uh, how can, I think the, how I think can those cars tell them people working, you know, how do they, how do they stop the masses? And again, the, well, the, the I, other I thing is there's some bad mistakes made, Bruce, no and, question about it. And we but, also uh, really uh, don't know. And again, this is another an issue. This is an issue that we've been talking about for several weeks now. I'm talking about the, 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 the Senate re- a compromise uh, that Senator Langford has been working on. And the point is, yes. we really don't know the specifics. They were allegedly supposed to be released 
today. I don't know whether they're out yet. But again, this story has been out there floating around, and one of the big concerns, sure. what a lot of people but are even, opposed even to it, is 5,000 5, people a day were going to be allowed in as part of okay. this deal? We could argue, look, Bruce, Bruce, the perfect is the enemy of the done. If we don't do this, that was negotiated by very conservative Republicans as well as Democrats, if we don't take this deal, it's going to be more than a year before we're able to do anything. And I do not believe that even a new Trump administration is going to get a better deal than this. I, I, I agree. I agree with just about everything uh, that John said, uh, with the exception of this ripping away the children. I mean, that was a few isolated you, cases in the I'm gonna have Obama you, administration. Oh, no. I have, to, I have oh, to have you no. pause. I have to have you pause. <laughs> John, stand by as well, because we're going to give you a chance to respond. We are going to a break, and again, uh, we're going to be debating your description of this uh, brutal policy of the Trump administration, which uh, Josh Cantro disagrees with. Back shortly. back and uh josh you wanted to make a point before the break yeah well no the point i was making was about uh just to comment on john allen's uh, remark that the trump administration was ripping children away from their families it is true that families uh, that uh, children were separated from their families but the logic was that you didn't want to have children going to detention centers or jail cells with their families. So anyway, it went on, it ended after about a year, and as it, as it should have, it was not the, the right thing to do in retrospect, but I just, the, the word ripping children away, or the phrase okay. ripping children away, I thought was a bit overdone. John, last word to you, and then we're switching gears. Let me make make a little more moderate statement. I think the idea was to disincentivize people from coming and bringing their families, and I think yes. the cruelty was actually part of the part of the plan. It was not. It was not a. It was not a bug. It was a feature. Uh, but uh, John, I don't think what, Nikki Haley that, would do that. And Josh, I, both of you, I, I'm. It's my understanding that a lot of these children, there was no guarantee that these children actually belong to the people that brought them over the border they could be a, they could have been coyotes they could have been people they did not know and in some cases they had to make sure that these children actually if i can use this word belong to these people and you cannot give over that, children that isn't, but to that, complete but strangers Mike, that isn't what was happening that isn't what happened I, i'm not I, I, that's i, I John, think here's something here's something else to here's something else to consider when someone commits a crime in the united states and a judge and a jury send them to prison. Guess what? They don't bring. They can't bring their children along. They've got to say goodbye to their children. And so I don't know why we should treat someone who was broken into the country, already broken a law, while they why they should be treated better than an American criminal. Bruce, this you goes lose back your, to the you distinction you, you between lose, you, Bruce, you lose no, no, your children. This is confusing. No, Bruce, this is the wrong question. They're, the problem wasn't that they're breaking into the country. They came in search of asylum. 
Now, are they abusing the system? Some Absolutely. did, some did not. But are they protected legally? Some, they're not. They have. They're not lawbreakers. Some, and some, the issue wait, wasn't whether to take them to jail. Though, but John, not everybody that was coming here was seeking an was seeking asylum. There well, were. Those, I agree. Are, are, That's why we so, have. Yes, yes. That's exactly. Do you agree? Right. Do you agree with right, it? Do you, you agree? Are, because you are right on this. This is why we have to spend a lot of money on fixing the asylum system. And I understand the bill does that. You need more judges. You need to be able to adjudicate it in, totally in agree. You know, three days or more and get them, send them home. Totally agree. I, 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 I agree that we, I agree. And again, I, the, the, the specifics of this legislation have not yet been released to everybody so we can really jump in and digest it. But I would say, and I've said it but on President this program, Trump has I do already. believe, I do believe, I do believe <laughs> that we need more border agents. And frankly, I think yes. we need twice as many border judges so that we don't yes, have the absolutely. backlog because it was ridiculous. Absolutely. There was one report a couple of weeks ago that someone who, who was seeking asylum, they were, they were given their next court date. It, it was like five years from now. Yeah. I mean, right. that, that, that's, yes, that's ridiculous. Sure. That's not a system that yeah, works. It is. I, I can't help but ask though, um, it's my understanding of the immigration laws that asylum is only granted uh, for political reasons that you're that there's a political problem. Yes. You go back to your home country. There is not an right. economic need asylum. And I'm convinced Correct. and I could be wrong. I'm convinced that a vast majority of these supposed asylees are people who are simply trying to get a better life. I get why they're doing yes, it. I agree. But that is not yes. the law. And that's why I'm saying, right. You keep them in get Mexico or whatever until, uh, but you see, in my mind, the, the, the Biden administration has convinced Americans that asylum includes, uh, if you don't like your economics back in your other country, you can come here. That's not the law. You'll be hard the law to me find is anyone. We and have most of the world also, coming and, here. and also, also right. a situation and this this is what uh, this is what moves political opinion when you have four or five illegal immigrants who come to the united states who then go to new york and then upon themselves they take it that they're going to take on a couple of cops and beat the crap out of them yes and the cameras are rolling yeah, right. and then when they go to the to, to, to be adjudicated uh, and after you know 15 20 minutes there they're released and as they walk out they flip america the bird now, I mean, and th that Florida. picture and, and, and head to California or wherever they're going, because we don't know where they're going. Yeah. But again, that 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 signal and that picture of this illegal immigrant after beating up a cop, flipping the bird to the American people. That's a picture. That picture is worth thousands of votes, thousands of votes. That's right. That's right. And pre and President Trump does not want to lose the issue. He would rather keep I that agree. issue inflamed, hoping to get reelected. And it's utterly irresponsible. Well, what's irresponsible has been the Biden administration's policy. Yeah. And I agree with you that, that too. Trump that should, too. should encourage them to get something done. But, but I think that you're, I mean, let's go back to the root of the problem. This was not a problem in the Trump administration. We had the border. Not it certainly sealed. was. It wasn't not not to this nine degree, million people not, in three not, years. Not <laughs> even close to this degree, and now we have this huge problem, and it's one of the reasons why Biden's approval ratings are so bad. People are fed up with it, and it is not fair to the hardworking American taxpayer that we have these 
economic asylum seekers, the vast majority of them we know are coming for economic reasons, not for political persecution. So it's yeah. just got So we all agree we need to get control of the border. The question is, how do we do it? Some of Trump's ideas were not that bad. And now Biden has actually had to, you know, very reluctantly had to do it. I'm not, I'm not in praise of the Biden policy on this. Well, uh, I think what I getting think what, better because he has to. John, what I think a lot of voters are saying right now is, you know, okay, they look at television, they see what a mess it is right now. They're reacting to what happened in New York, the flipping of the bird. I mean, their blood pressure is going up and up and up. Yep. And yep. many yep. of them are, many of them are saying, you know what? I remember during the Trump administration, Certain things happened, like remain in Mexico. Certain things were happening, and it seemed to me that it was being better handled then than now. And those people that think that way, they want to return to that way in the future. We've got a pause. We've got another full hour coming up. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a new NBC News poll, a shocking poll that shows a big lead for Donald Trump. Don't go away. Lot back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Wherever you're listening, coast to coast and border to border around the world, it's nice to have you with us. We are here every Sunday night live. This is when we uh, drop this program. I guess we'll talk sort of in podcast terms, even though this is a broadcast uh, being on 35 radio stations from coast to coast and YouTube and Facebook Live. Uh, so television, radio, we're all here. And again, uh, do want to mention that uh, keep Always remember that we're at beyondthebeltway.com. If you miss the program on Sunday night, you can go to YouTube and watch it. But again, you can also go to beyondthebeltway.com at any point or look me up uh, beyond the beltway and all of our shows are there. So if you miss a show on Sunday night, it'll be there on Monday night and it'll be there the following Monday night. And we have literally years and years of archival programming. So you could hear the program early on when Josh was here before his voice changed. I mean, these are the things we have. And John John Allen Williams, I mean, he's been on this program for over 30 years. John, you may be on the program longer than anybody else. I think well, you may be uh, on. So I, I, I know Mike has been on a long time. Josh has I, been on a little less. 12 years. Okay, so you, but, I, but J- John Allen Williams and I, we go back to when my broadcasting career began, huh. when you were a young upstart professor at Loyola, and you were a yeah. you were a conservative college professor at that time. Well, it's all relative. I've stayed the yeah. same in the, the profession, <laughs> and then along came but Donald I, Trump. Still, Oops! <laughs> anyway, you know, in, right in now, in my mind, I'm still a conservative Republican. You okay, know, but, okay. Uh, you well, know, it's not that well, way there's, there's different stripes. By the way, if if people did not, a couple of things uh, to to mention: uh, Real Clear Politics, which is now using Real Clear Polling. Uh, dot com as as a site for them. They have a special site, but just remember Real Clear Politics. It will send it to you as well. They have uh, a, a an excellent video. It runs about five minutes. I watched the whole thing, and they went from coast to coast and border to border. They went through all of their polls, their current polls, in all fifty states, and then they went state by state, and they said. Who was ahead, and then they obviously colorized it, and 
it comes out that Donald Trump will be reelected president of the United States. But if you are a political junkie, watch that because they're going to update it from time to time. But all of the information is based on real, clear politics, polling data, which changes, you know, virtually uh, every week, if not every day. So I call that to your attention because it is an excellent way to follow what's going on. The, the clear, the latest math and polling that's going on, it's, it's excellent. Another thing I call your attention to is Meet the Press this morning, if you did not see it, uh, with Christian Welker. Again, they released, they were all excited because they have a new NBC poll. And I'm going to release the information or repeat the information uh, now and let you follow along. This was a poll based on today's date. It has an overall, this is between Trump and Biden. It has Donald Trump beating Joe Biden 47 to 42 percent. Then they broke it down to how people felt about specific issues. For those people that felt the economy was the most important issue, they sided with Trump 53 (laughs) to 35 For those that were concerned about the border and what was happening at the border, 57% sided with Donald Trump, 22% sided with Joe Biden. And in the demographic of 18 to 34, which is a big demographic for a lot of people, including pollsters, 47% were for Donald Trump, 42% were for Biden, which is the same as the, the aggregate total at the top. And then insofar as independence, and again, it's pretty hard to win the presidency without strong independent support. It helped Trump in 16. It helped Biden in 20. Independence, 48% were for Donald Trump. 29% were for Joe Biden. And the one question that everybody asks, if and this is important to remember, If Donald Trump should be convicted of any of the crimes that he's charged with, his number drops from 47 to 43, and Joe Biden's number gets to 45 from 42, and that's the difference in the election. So judges, juries, they will be making decisions, as we all know, between now and November, But this is the way the the election and the campaign looks right at the moment. And again, you can go to Real Clear Politics anytime. They will give you the specifics on this. They will also have the NBC poll that I just referenced because they list all the polls. And again, if you're a junkie and you've heard me say it again and again, Real Clear Politics could be the first place you look every morning if you want to have if you're a junkie and you need you need your your adrenaline right right to the veins uh that's where you can go i want to get everybody's response to it we're going to start with josh cantra who sits across from me and even though i should mention by the way a a poll out of south carolina has nikki haley you know behind almost by 50 points uh, down there in her primary coming up at the end of this month yeah well that that the poll that you mentioned and the fact that it flips to Biden if Trump is convicted of anything is one of the main talking points that I have been using to say, let Nikki Haley continue to run her campaign. The Republicans mm-hmm. are running a huge risk if they continue to just, if, if 
Trump is it. If they anoint Trump now, in February, before we have these other 48 primaries plus U states plus U.S. territories, and with all these looming criminal indictments and trials coming down, let Nikki Haley run, let it continue, and she is a great fallback if Trump runs into legal problems. Because, look, four different uh, jurisdictions, 91 counts, the chance that he beats all of those is, you just look at the, the federal criminal conviction rate, it's something like 95 plus percent. So I am very concerned about that poll, and I'm very concerned with all of these calls to, to, by leading Republicans for Nikki Haley to get out of the race. I also think, by the way, I, I agree with that. I do not think that Nikki Haley should get out of the race. Uh, certainly, um, many of her funders don't believe she should get out of the race. She's raised in excess of $4 million from her second place finish in, in, North, uh, in New Hampshire. So there's no reason why she shouldn't. And I'll, I'll, I'll have another point about South Carolina in just a moment. But I want to get Mike Miller and uh, John Allen Williams to respond to this poll. We'll head west for Mike uh, Mike Miller's assessment of this poll. It's pretty devastating for, for well, what I, the president. Yeah, I, I think it is devastating. And in the time we have before the break, uh, it, it seems to me that uh, Joe Biden's decision that he's going to attack MAGA or, or Trump supporters as being anti-American uh, and and talking about the, uh, everybody who doesn't vote for him for being essentially evil is, is a primary mistake. And secondly, uh, the the border situation, when it was just in Texas, it was not I've got an to, issue. I've got to interrupt you right now, Mike. I'm sorry. Uh, the music is That's playing, okay. which means we've got to go to a break. But it means for you, take two breaths, get a drink, and we're <sighs> back to you and John Allen Williams when we continue from Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border every Sunday night for now 44 years. Nice to have you with us. Beyond the Beltway continues. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Uh, Mike Miller, you were in the middle of something when uh, I asked uh, your opinion, and uh, you have gotten, uh, you've relaxed, you've had three minutes to think of your answer, so go ahead. Okay, here, I'm looking at it from the Biden side. Why is Biden so low? The first yeah. off is that he has decided to attack the other side. He has decided to say the Americans who do not vote for him are essentially the the basket of deplorables. I think you just... You can't be president when you do that. Secondly, the border issue was not an issue for most people when it was just at the border. The moving of people from Texas and, and so forth to all over the country, making it impossible for Chicago and New York and so forth to deal with, it has pushed into Americans' face the problem of the of the southern border. And, and I believe that Biden's getting... Uh, uh, credit for that or being attacked for that. Third, I, I think no one can ignore his mental decline. Um, I, um, he just seems more and more feeble as time goes on. And to think that we would have four more years of that is kind of strange. And lastly, from an economic standpoint, there's no doubt when you look at the unemployment, you look at the labor market, you look at gross domestic product, the economy is booming. You would think that that he would have a cakewalk into the presidency. But there's a couple things happening. One, we know 
beyond question that real incomes have not increased. And people take that very personally. The second thing is, who can buy a home today? With the interest rates where they are, and they will remain high all year, and with the real incomes not keeping up, and with the high price of housing because of the previous period, uh, this this affects Americans and their economic well-being uh, dramatically, and I think they take that out against Mr. Biden. I want to come back to you a little bit after the break and, and, and get into sure. some of the numbers because the, the numbers for this past month were, were very good for the president, oh, and yeah. I want you to assess those for our group uh, gathered this evening. Sure. But I want to go to John Allen Williams uh, with any comments or questions he has about uh, this NBC news, news poll, which has Trump leading 47 to 42 percent at the moment. John? Well, anything th- about three the poll or the poll? I'll get stats? to the poll. I got three, I've got three points. First, the poll is it certainly is disturbing and even alarming. But the different the time between now and an election and the election is an eternity in political time. Right. A lot can happen. Trump could be convicted, and even if he's not convicted, Trump is not going to look good in the course of a, of the uh, kind of prosecution he is going to face it's going to be time for him to face the music. And I think other people are going to hear it. Secondly, uh, Josh's, uh, Josh's point, uh, so it, I, it's difficult to be a, a moderate surrounded by people who aren't. And uh, I, Josh has the unenviable position of being a voice of sanity in a party that it seems to have lost its mind. And the difference is the Republican Party is not a normal party anymore. It is a cult of personality that is, uh, has fealty to Donald Trump, and conservative values themselves are not primary. Uh, and that's a problem. And I wish Josh every, uh, every luck in trying to solve this, because we need a moderate right uh, uh, alternative to the, to, the, to, the, to the left. But John, sure, what does I'm it, not what does fond it, of either what, extreme. What does it say to you, however, that Donald Trump remains, notwithstanding his legal issues, remains to be an immensely popular candidate in the Republican Party. And that the Republicans I, remember, let me finish, yeah. the Republicans who remember and now revere his election in 2016, his four-year reign as president of the United States, they look back on those years as positive years. They liked Donald Trump. They, did, they wanted to reject the Republicanism of Mitt Romney, of Bob Dole, of John McCain, because those three men have three things in common. They're all losers. The Republican Party at the national level, when, when, they, when the voters, the primary voters voted and elected them or voted for them, they elected three losers. And many Republicans are tired of losing and what happened in 2016 was a guy that came down that elevator, tipped over all the, the, the garbage cans, and said, let's clean this place up. And the American people, they liked what they heard in 2016, and they really liked what they heard from 16 to 20. But again, because of his personality, it got in the way of his policies, he turned a lot of people off. And that's where we are right now. Whether people are going to forgive him, it's not his or personality. It's not his personality, okay. Bruce. What is it's it? his limitations, and it's not just not just his policy. It's not a person of great gifts, right? Except he has a feral instinct for uh, for his his uh, his base. 
Uh, and that's 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 a problem. Now, that's people pretty, have no, every but, right but, but, but to you, like you, what you say, they, you say that. Let, you let say me, that's me, his problem. No, Bruce, let me finish. Okay, good. I will, but, but remember, it's his problem. problem. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, the, the difficulty is that uh, the Republican Party, if they really do want to elect a winner, they would Trump tomorrow and they'd go with Nikki Haley. I think Nikki Haley would clean house against uh, against uh, President uh, Biden. Amen now, would I that. like that? I could I could live with it, but I, I as opposed to President Trump. Now, in terms of President Trump, and I want to get back to something uh, Mike said, uh, the uh, uh, President Trump uh, is uh, is a, has to have some political things to say, and he, I don't think he's necessarily attacking people that support Trump, but he is pointing out the problems that limitations that Trump has, including authoritarian tendencies, open uh, willingness to suspend the Constitution and other kinds of things. And in terms of losing your mental focus, one should listen very closely to any speech from Donald Trump and try to find any sense in the word salad. And he's getting worse. I think it's not, I think if you're looking at mental acuity, I think Trump has a bigger problem with that than, than, than uh, Biden does. Biden stumbled physically and he's lost a few steps in other ways as well, but haven't we all? I'm not that young myself anymore. But if you compare him to Trump, as you see, it's not the comparison with the almighty, but the alternative. And I, I think Trump is, is losing it. Josh. I think uh, one, there's one key person that we haven't talked about missing from this conversation, and that's the Vice President Kamala Harris. As woeful as Biden's approval numbers are right now, hers are even worse. And I think one of the issues that scares the independents with Biden is the fact that he is getting older, as we all are every second, but it's showing. And can he really make it? through a second term, and what are the chances that we're going to have a President Kamala Harris? She has shown no capacity whatsoever to be able to, to do the job. The, the word salad that John mentioned, fair enough, but I mean, listen to Kamala Harris try to string two sentences together. It's a word salad. Well, I think the that's American where Trump, that, that's, where, that, that's where Trump, I think, is going to, the campaign, is going to focus. Nikki Haley is already focused on that. I mean, you're talking about what do the next four years look like with Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris. I think uh, Trump, or whoever the Republican nominee is, and I still hope it's Haley, runs against a president in Harris. I, I want to spend a moment talking about uh, uh, Nikki Haley, because the narrative about Nikki Haley, Ailey now is, uh, she didn't do as well as she expected to do in New Hampshire, but she gathered in New York and, and her, her financial supporters gathered and they, they, they're rallying behind her and she's raised a goodly amount of money. So she may have money to go beyond South Carolina and, and make it to Super Tuesday and even the Illinois primary on the 19th of March. But part of her narrative is in her home state, where everybody knows her, she's running way behind Donald Trump. And the one narrative that I have not heard the national media really delve into is, why is she so far behind? What is the relationship between she, the two-term governor of that state, 
and all of the Republican officials, or many of the state Republican officials, who are now challenging her and, vo- and uh, 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 suggesting and endorsing Donald Trump. And I think the answer might be is I think we need a very good proctoscopic investigation by journalists, preferably from South Carolina, who can tell us why. Because when you are a governor or you're a leader, you're making a lot of enemies. The enemies that she made, they're now out. They, they, the knives are out. They can now give her the shiv. And they're giving her the shiv. But why? I think one of the reasons why is that her profile in Courage, and I said it when she did it, one of her profiles in Courage was when she decided to take down the rebel flag from the state capitol and move it to a museum. That could not have been a very popular position when she took it. There may be a lot of politicians in South Carolina that hate her for that, will never forgive her for that, and we are, we are learning of their wrath now under the guise of an endorsement of Donald Trump. And she also was in a position when there was this massacre of, uh, of, of, uh, of black churchgoers in, in Charleston at a time when every other municipality in the country was dealing with the wake of George Floyd, where there was rioting and everything else. It was the one incident of that period in our history. There wasn't rioting in Charleston, South Carolina, because Nikki Haley did something different. She sat down with the churchgoers. She quieted the situation. I understand that she took, there were calls that, that were being made between she and Jesse Jackson at that particular time. She did something that at least to the broad public might have been viewed as very, very positive. But to the Republican primary voters in South Carolina, they may have hated what she did. And they're coming home to roost right now. That's just one possibility of why so many people in South Carolina reject her. I'm Bruce Dumont. We are back, and uh, I'm Bruce Dumont. And uh, yesterday I had a great uh, pleasure set, uh, Sunday, uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, heading out to Barrington, Illinois, uh, which is northwest of downtown Chicago. And the Barrington uh, Town uh, Meeting, warming of 24, was held yesterday. And the topic was artificial intelligence, and uh, it was a day-long panel. I was uh, uh, invited to be a part of the panel by uh, uh, Patty Dowd uh, uh, Schultz. And uh, she did a nice job in arranging uh, the panel there. And uh, it was nice, a, a number of people, for 300 people present. And a lot of them are fans of the show. They came up afterwards and uh, we chatted a little bit and had some pictures taken. And again, a little bit later on in the day, Mike Pompeo uh, showed up to give a speech. I, w- I was not around for that. But again, it was nice to be out with the folks in Barrington yesterday. And again, my uh, thanks to them for that wonderful invitation. We have a caller on the line. He is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and his name is, go ahead, you're with your name, sir. Hey, good evening, Bruce. This is Brian. Okay, go uh, ahead, sir. I, call, I, I called in initially about the immigration issue, but a couple of points. You, 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 before the break, you're talking about Nikki Haley. Yeah. You didn't mention that she's a free-trading globalist Republican, which 
Donald well, Trump's blue-collar, hardcore supporters do not like. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And, she's, she is she is from a different school than Donald Trump. I mean, they they, exactly. they, they she's from a different school of Donald Trump. And but but you well, would, a I, I, I think you would, I think you would acknowledge Brian though that the Republican Party, which uh, may not have as large a tent as people would like it to have. They, they, there are, uh, there are nationalist Republicans. Uh, there are card-carrying country club Republicans. There are Walmart Republicans. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that that tend to like the Republican Party. And the one thing that Donald Trump has been able to do, he has been able to broaden the base of the party and bring a lot more blue-collar workers uh, into the Republican fold, and some Hispanics and some African Americans. Whereas uh, a loyal part of the party is the business party, it's the country club party, it's the clean fingernail Republicans, if party. you will. And yeah, the low tax party, I mean, you know, the, the, the right to life party. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can describe a Republican. But again, she clearly is, she clearly is an establishment Republican, much more so Definitely. than Donald Trump. So right, I'll, I'll, Let's go back to immigration. I politically am an independent mainly because of this issue, because both parties are horrible on this issue, as well as corporate-controlled news media is terrible on this issue also. They yes. don't ask or look at the obvious issues, and they don't ask the obvious questions. They don't. Like, how many immigrants are we supposed to take in? Right. You know, if you look at the facts, we closed down Ellis Island in the mid-50s. So in the last 70 years... Over 5 billion people have been added to the planet. Now, how many of these people that are having a not-so-good life are we supposed to let come into the United States? It's a really easy question to ask, which nobody does. One of your commentators was talking about the expense of housing. Yes, housing is getting really expensive. It's in short supply in most of our desirable metropolitan areas. But nobody in corporate media decides to ask the obvious question, where are all these millions of immigrants going to live? How are they going to afford to live there? Brian, I, for some Brian, reason, we can't ask these questions. I, I could not Go agree ahead. with you more that uh, hopefully on programs like this and uh, with some of the other uh, podcasting programs that are out there, uh, the discussion of American politics has expanded greatly. It continues to, to, to change uh, every, uh, every minute of every day. And these questions can be asked uh, during that period of time. But you're absolutely right. If we go back to the core mainstream media, uh, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, they do not have the ability to ask the hardball questions that need to be asked. They will focus their attention, as uh, Christian Welker did uh, on, on Meet the Press today, they will focus on, on other issues, or as George Stephanopoulos did today with Senator J.D. Vance. They had all the background. They listed every time that J.D. Vance has said something negative about Donald Trump. They played at least five or six clips because it was in the, in the possible of the discussion that J.D. Vance might be a running mate. And the whole purpose of George Stephanopoulos was to embarrass and focus J.D. Vance. Now, I don't question that, that George Stephanopoulos had every right to do that. And I think the American people also need to know if someone's political position has changed, as it has with J.D. Vance. But at the end of that segment, if you did not see This Week with George Stephanopoulos today, 
Go find it on YouTube. Look at the segment with J.D. Vance. He cuts J.D. Vance off. He, hmm. does, he summarizes what J.D. Vance said. J.D. Vance disagreed with it, and he was cut off. Hmm. It's, it's the only time I've ever seen that on a, on a, on a Sunday morning show. And, and uh, Stephanopoulos said, thank you, Senator, and clearly wasn't pleased with it. But again, it, it, they, because they all basically have the same political philosophy. They live in the same world, and they don't want to embarrass themselves or anybody else, so they go along with the mainstream perspective. That's what happens. And shows like this, and Joe Rogan and others are out there that are far more successful than this program. They're out there to offer a different perspective, and that's what we do. Okay, can I can I make a couple more points? Sure. On immigration? Yeah. All right. You know, I, I work construction in the Chicagoland metro area most of my life, so yeah. I dealt with illegal immigrants all the time. Now, another, so I've been following this issue for decades. So half the problem comes through the airport. It's called visa overstay. It's right. the, who's talking about visa overstay? Nobody. That's half, that's fifty percent of the problem. Nobody talks about it. And then the other problem is all these employers that get away with hiring all the illegals. Everybody looks the other way. You know, and so now the Republicans are going to dig in their heels and fight fight Biden on this supposed deal out of the Senate. If I were Joe Biden. I would go talk to your Justice Department, and I would say, go start sniffing around all these meatpacking plants in the South and Red State America. Go start sniffing around all these country clubs in Red State America. And see how many illegal immigrants are working there and start arresting the employers. Enforce the law, Joe. I, you know, it's so I, easy, but nobody, nobody points these obvious solutions out. Brian? I totally agree with it. We've talked about it on this program, uh, whether it's E-Verify or some other form. But again, you're right. This issue is still with us because there are people, there's two people, there's two groups of people. There are people in the United States that want lower priced goods. And there are two people, the, the, the other group in the country are people that are willing to sell it to them. And they don't care what the life is like for those that are getting them the, the goods that they need to get. And so they could care less. They're looking for the lowest possible price. It's one of the reasons why the Republicans at the House level have been very, very slow to respond to this. Because when, when Speaker Ryan was in, he didn't want to do anything uh, for, uh, for, 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 for tightening up that policy. Didn't want to do anything. E-Verify. Didn't want the idea. If you, you can't be serious about solving this problem if you're not serious about E-Verify. And that is to make sure that people who hire illegal immigrants are subject to some degree of liability and maybe in prison time for breaking the, the laws. It just shouldn't be the people who are looking to preserve their family. Now, granted, you know, they, they've, they've got nobody speaking for them. But again, the other people, the, 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 the fat, I hate to use the term fat cast, but the successful business community, Republicans and Democrats, they're looking for the lowest possible price, and that's what they want. And they're going to get away with it what because we, no one's going to ask the serious question: Have you tested? The, have you tested the legality of everybody that works for you? They don't do it. See, what we have is what we have is is a de facto deregulated labor market, just like 
deregulated the airlines, and we deregulated trucking, and we deregulated manufacturing and globalized and moved our factories. We've deregulated the American labor market is oh, what we've done. Let's but nobody wants, to, let's, nobody wants to point that out. Let's go to Mike Miller. He's got a comment on it. Mike, your response to Brian in oh, Albuquerque? No, I, 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 everything he says makes perfect sense. Uh, but E-Verify has been an idea for a long time, and, and uh, people just, like you say, Bruce, people want the low-cost labor, and they're just not willing to push it. I, I think it makes perfect sense that E-Verify would, uh, would exist. So I, no, I, his, his comments about, uh, um, about immigration in general are spot on. I, uh, my compliments to the caller. He's Brian, very much informed. A, a question to you, Brian. I, I said a couple of segments ago, that uh, these uh, these immigrant thugs who beat up the two New York police officers and then uh, uh, walked away flipping the bird to the American people and to all the cameras, uh, I said that that could be a, a wake-up call, a wake-up photograph, if you will, to the American voter. Do you agree with that, or do you think it's just one more thing that kind of just uh, rolls off the back of the voter? No, of course. I mean, they should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, put in jail for whatever it is, a couple years, and then make a big show of shipping them out of the United States. You know, and, you know, America, the working class America is sick of it. And we know what's going on, but both parties are controlled by their extremes and they won't do the right thing. And Trump's smart enough to see that, hey, here's this big division I can exploit to his advantage, and that's what he's doing. You know, mm-hmm. and then another observation, you talk about people don't like Trump's personality. It's really Trump is a man of very low character. That's what Trump is. Have a good <laughs> night, Bruce. Yes. OK, we've got a pause. Brian, thanks for the call back shortly from Chicago. We continue with our broadcast, and uh, we've got Sarah on the line. She is calling from Nashville, Tennessee. Go ahead, Sarah. You're on Beyond the Beltway. Hi. Uh, why don't you mention that Trump, uh, excuse me, Biden has 58% of the suburban women or women uh, at this point in time in the United States. He has a majority vote of the women and wanted to ask um, what the gentleman thought about that because Trump lost supposedly in 2020 due to mm-hmm. low uh, voter turnout for for him, and as well, if Nikki Haley were going to take over and Trump did get convicted, she would probably take more of the women's vote away from Biden. I would assume. Um, do the gentleman have any opinion on that? Mm-hmm. I do. Two two, th- two things, and then I'm going to let, let yes. uh, you talk. Uh, two things. First of all, the NBC poll today did not go into where the where the female vote. Uh, came down. So that's why I didn't report it, because it wasn't in the poll, it wasn't in the tabs uh, that they released. And also, I agree with you, based on previous polls, 
Uh, I'd like to see one uh, with Nikki Haley against uh, Biden. I do believe that Nikki Haley, if she won the primary, would beat Joe Biden. Let me let me just say that I agree with the, the caller's premise. And not only would Nikki Haley beat Joe Biden, she would crush Joe Biden. She would win states. She. She would win states like Colorado, Virginia, Nevada, New Hampshire, you know, states where the suburban women who turned against Trump would come back to the party because they see a strong woman with good, solid, moderate to conservative values being put forward by the Republican Party. Would any of those women come back to the party if Donald Trump were to ask her and she were to accept the vice presidency? First of all, I think that's highly unlikely. Okay, I agree. But secondly, it's it's a different deal when you're the number two. Yes, some would come back, but not in the way that they would right. if she were at the top of the table. What are the key issues, uh, Sarah, that uh, you like about Nikki Haley? Um, I like the fact that she's her own person and she stands up against uh, a bully and Trump's a bully uh, in many ways. And that's why most women don't want to vote for him because they don't want their daughters uh, putting up and uh, tolerating that type of behavior from men in society. And so if you vote for a man who leads that way, you're going to be voting for that type of behavior. Um, and they know he's morally, um, uh, considering his recent lawsuit, which I also heard Daniel Horowitz say that um, E. Jean Carroll would actually definitely win that lawsuit, that um, she's got a case and Trump can't appeal that case because they will not let the... Um, the judges will not take a, a jury vote, and which was a fact after she was he was already convicted on the first go round, and they won't take that away. So she will eventually, he said, get that eighty three million dollar lawsuit, mm-hmm. um, probably within a year or so. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, Trump's moral integrity, integrity, excuse me, is the, the biggest reason, uh, in the way he treats has treated women in the past, which he has shown to to has a proven track record there. I they think will I not vote for him. Sarah, I think I know the answer to this question, but of all the legal problems that Donald Trump has swirling around his head, do you think the Eugene Carroll issue uh, and the defamation and the allegations of, of rape, do you think those are the most devastating to him politically, more so than Mar-a-Lago or January 6th? No, I think from what I've heard, he's going to have the biggest problem in Washington, D.C., I guess, with the January 6th. Um, um, lawsuit that's going on, a conviction against him. I think the other is in the past, and that's something that's been settled. But in the minds of females, uh, suburban mm-hmm. voter women, or but women in general, yes, I do think mm-hmm. it's a big factor. And I think it will weigh greatly on his, um, will weigh greatly when they come, unless, mm-hmm. unless the economy goes south and prices continue to rise with inflation. But my understanding is once inflation has Risen in prices at the grocery store, it's hard to get them back down, even if Trump comes into office, if, if that were a fact that would occur. But I, I do think in most women's minds, someone who has misrepresented himself with women, they want to show their daughters they have a strong opinion of a man that is that type of personality as well, and they don't want to see him as a leader. Um, it's just a matter of... Um, 
personal opinion, but I think that's why he had so many women vote against him in 2020. Stand by Mike, it came Mike, out. Miller, Mike Miller, what's your, what's your assessment of Sarah? By the way, let me mention that again, normally on our program, we do have a card carrying Trump supporter. We don't have one in studio with us this evening. I guess Mike Miller probably is the, the strongest one that we have. But again, he has some issues with the with the president, uh, former president as well. But again, uh, uh, for those Trumpsters who are listening into the program, again, uh, we'll be back. We'll have a, your, your voice will be presented again uh, next week on this program. But Mike, your reaction to, to this and the political assessment um, from I Sarah? I think there's a difference, though, between women who are single and women who are married with families. M women with uh, married with families support Mr. Trump. It is primarily single women, I understand, uh, or ch women with children but no husband that support the Democrats. Secondly, if this thing about Trump and Jean Carroll, which is really a strange case, um, then why did they not throw out um, Bill Clinton, who was a, a sexual predator? They did not. They, they, they asked that they could have their, their presidential knee pads. They wanted to support that man in spite of him being a pig because he was one who would support their particular views. And if I want to add one other thing uh, to Josh and John, I, I understand that Nikki Haley right now is polling very well were he, she to run against Biden. But it is absolutely clear to me as an establishment candidate that she will be absolutely destroyed by the Democrats. They will stop at nothing to destroy that woman the same way they did John McCain and the same way they did with Mitt Romney, who they obviously love after the fact, after they were able to beat him. But they destroyed, they tried to destroy both of those men. Josh. And, and they Josh will do it again with her. Josh. Yeah, I just wanted to, want to agree with the, the last point that Mike made. It is a great point. The Democrats and their media allies always go after and try to destroy whoever the Republicans nominate. That's right. For president. But they've never had the opportunity in the past to go after a female Republican nominee. That's what would make this unique. Okay, we'll Sarah, see. thank you for your perspective. John Allen Williams, thanks very much for being with us from Macon, Georgia. Mike Miller, always nice to have you with us from Washington. Josh Cantrell, thank you very much. Peter Schiller, make this program possible. Good night from Chicago.